Hey, well, please <clears throat> turn with me. I think that I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 11 first, and then we'll dive into the confession. So Isaiah chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me. Um, we've been considering the mediator of the new covenant, mediator of the covenant of grace that God made with man, and we saw that this mediator was covenanted with the Father and the Holy Spirit in eternity past to come and save a particular people for himself. And in paragraph 2 last week, we looked at who this mediator would be, that he is full God and full man, God himself coming down, rending the heavens to join himself with the body of a man to accomplish our salvation. And today, we're going to see how Christ accomplished that salvation as God and man, if that makes sense. And what we're going to find, I hope, is that it is Christ as man filled with the Holy Spirit that did all of his works in the human body on earth, rather than the God nature communicating to the human body of Christ so that he would do his work. He was made in all ways like we are, yet without sin, and that means he was truly man, but filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. Isaiah chapter 11 prophesies this reality. <clears throat> this is God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, notice, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears here, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. 700 years before our Savior came, this was prophesied about him that he would be a spirit filled man. And that all his wisdom, righteousness, justice, is a fruit of that Holy Spirit. And then, just briefly, we've read this last week, Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, as the Holy Spirit inspiring Isaiah to write, starts this wonderful chapter with this word, Behold... Behold, look at my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. All right, well, we must read verse 2 and 3, I think. Um, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will bring forth justice... He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So, with all that in our minds, those prophecies, I just want to read paragraph 3 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession. The Lord Jesus, 
in His human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. Now, notice what comes after that. Having in Him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, He might thoroughly furnish to execute the office of mediator and surety. Which office He took not upon Himself, but was thereto called by the Father, by His Father. Who also put all power and judgment in His hand and gave Him commandment to execute the same. So, notice there what the confession is claiming. That Christ in His man nature was filled with the Holy Spirit above measure so that He would accomplish the work of being our mediator and our surety. That He came to do the covenant that you could not do And he needed the Holy Spirit for that as man. Not having, again, his God nature of the second person of the Trinity communicated to his human body. He was not a man possessed by his own God nature, but a man dependent upon the Holy Spirit for all of his works, just like every man that's ever been created is. Okay? Now, I know that that can sound rather shocking maybe to hear, Uh, or something we haven't thought about. But it all comes from, and I think that we've heard this before, the anointing of Jesus Christ. As we think about and what we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, um, theological terms, we have the the munis triplex, the threefold office of the mediator as prophet, priest, and king. And that all of those offices in the Old Testament were anointed with oil, but what did that signify? being filled with the Spirit. And that's how we use in the New Covenant the word anointing typically, don't we? He was an anointed preacher or we have the anointing as John, 1 John 2 says. Where do we find that the Christ would be anointed? There's a couple of really key texts. Well, he certainly anointed for death in that, that, at that time. That's true. Where do we see him prophesied or in history recorded that he is anointed with the Holy Spirit? In his baptism. In his baptism. So, um, I want us to turn first to Luke chapter 4. And I just want us to notice something. Brother Joey has brought us to this text recently. That in Luke chapter 3, in verses 21 through 22, we have Jesus being baptized. And as He comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon Him in bodily form. And a voice came saying, You are My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the Son of God in a special kind of way at His baptism. And then we turn to chapter 4. We see him full of the Holy Spirit in verse 1, being driven out into the wilderness, okay? Anointed with the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that later. And we also see 
in verses 16 through 19. And this is going to be key for us. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, notice, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty all those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, we have here in verse 18... A citation from Isaiah chapter 61. That the Messiah that would come is going to be anointed and it defines what that means for us. It's not merely getting oily and smelling good with oil, right? It is the Holy Spirit coming upon him for very certain reasons. And what I want to propose to you today is that everything that is recorded about our Savior... All of his acts and works for us on our behalf were done by the Holy Spirit. And this starts at his very birth. If you're in Luke, turn to Luke chapter 1. That is, at the incarnation of the Son of God, the Holy Spirit is the one denominated as the one who creates the human body of Jesus Christ in order for him to do the work, and soul I should say, and to do the work that he was sent to do. Luke chapter 1 and verses 31 through 35. These are wonderful verses, aren't they? And behold, the angel talking to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. At the incarnation of our Lord, we have the Holy Spirit shown to be the the miracle-working Person that creates almost, you could say, ex nihilo, the body of our Savior. We've already read that at Jesus Christ's baptism, it's the Holy Spirit who fills him after he comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit coming upon him. Now, that should tell us something. This is the very beginning of our Savior's public ministry of the Word in this world. And we see here... By the Holy Spirit, in all four Gospels, the Holy Spirit telling us that He Himself came upon Jesus Christ, and after that, everything that follows is Holy Spirit-filled work. Do we notice anything else in our reading of Luke? What other activity that Jesus did was shown to be by the power of the Holy Spirit? What's that? His conception, yes. What about in Luke chapter 4? He was driven out. So in his temptation, the Holy Spirit was with him to help him through that temptation. Okay? I think we can safely say that. But what I'm trying to point out is that Jesus Christ's preaching ministry was done by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if you picked that up. Notice, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. To proclaim the good news to the poor. And I think in kind of a, a summaristic way, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 10, we see the Holy Spirit to be the source of all of our Savior's work in His human body on this earth, as Peter says something very revealing after he preaches to the house of Cornelius. I'm going to send, start in verse 36, but I want us to notice verse 38 in particular. Peter says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning at Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Notice verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So, the miracles that Jesus did, casting out demons, healing people... Peter says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and by that power he went about doing good. Okay? Now, that doesn't in any way detract from the fact that when the disciples, for instance, saw the Savior walking on the Sea of Galilee or other miracles, they said, this is God before us because power is shown through him. But the key that we want to notice here is that he did all of these things as a true man, okay? As a true man on this earth. But lastly, perhaps, there's another instance in the, in the work of our Savior that is shown to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've seen rather comprehensively so far his incarnation, his baptism, his temptation, his works of preaching of healing and of casting out demons is shown to be the work of the Holy Spirit. But what other work is done by the Holy Spirit? His death and resurrection. Now, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, as we have talked about before, all the works of God are done by all three members of the Godhead, but the Scripture often points out one member that it's His particular work in the, in the world that God has made, add extra. But in Hebrews chapter 9, again, we have this wonderful book talking about our mediator, the mediator of the new covenant. And we see in verse 14 in particular, notice... I'll read verse 13 as well. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience. So, He is the priest. He offers Himself through the Holy Spirit to God. Again, the Bible denominates that the Holy Spirit is the one who filled Christ to offer Himself as High Priest to God. 
And we read of his resurrection as well. And this is a... Where do, we, where do we find that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was performed by the Holy Spirit? It's possible. Go ahead. And that could be. That could be. Um, my notes actually ended at death, but I think we can go a little further. Now, this is a somewhat contested verse, if this is what this is talking about. Now, Romans 1. Romans 1. Notice... Um, Uh, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, notice, descended from David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, Some would take that in a hypostatic union kind of way. That he was descended, he was made in the flesh. Literally made in the Greek, in the flesh. According to being the son of David. But he showed himself by his own spirit. The spirit, second person of the Trinity. In his resurrection from the dead. But it certainly could be referring to the spirit of the living God as well. The Holy Spirit. And... We also get maybe a hint of it in Romans chapter 8. In verse 9, we're told, You, however, church, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay? He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, after going through all of that, okay, why is that important? Why is that doctrine that Jesus, if we go through all of Scripture... His works and His power, His preaching, His incarnation, His death and His resurrection wasn't done by the second person of the Trinity, but the third. Why is that important for us? Is it important for us to confess that? Well, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. Yes. Not coming to earth as some deity. I mean, it, would, it would be, in some sense, no great feat for Christ to come and do things for God. Amen. Because we can sometimes think that, well, Jesus came to accomplish all things for us, but I mean, he was God, wasn't he? So, what's the big deal? He created the whole world out of nothing, but he really was like us, brothers and sisters. He really was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin, because he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He relied upon God to be full of the Holy Spirit. He never grieved the Spirit of God while he was on this earth like we so often do. And Coley. Mm. 
Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It it shows us his true humanity. It shows us that he was sent by God, but it gives us more hope than that, brothers and sisters, because you might have noticed something that we quoted in the confession that he was given the Holy Spirit above measure. Does that remind you of a scripture verse? It's taken from John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And it's, re- it's actually rather shocking when you go through all these things. Um, how clear the scripture is about Christ being full of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 32, He, Christ, bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Okay? So, in our lives, we we hope and pray that we would be full of the Holy Spirit in all that we do because in our flesh dwells no good thing. In ourselves dwells no good thing, right? We need the Spirit to dwell in us and produce through faith in Christ all of the work and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And God promises that in the midst of trial and tribulation, we, we are filled with the Holy Spirit or we can be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to to do what we're called to do and be obedient. Right? Jesus Christ, think about the work that he had to do. He was sent to earth to be obedient, perfectly, perpetually obedient for all of God's people. He was sent to earth to to defeat the power of the devil and to rise again and to bear your sins. He was given the Holy Spirit without measure. And so all the fruits of the Spirit were without measure in our lives. Savior. And as we go into the book of Acts, as we've said before, maybe a more appropriate title for that book would be the continuing works of the Holy Spirit through the church. That when you go through Acts and you really have an eye for it, and you can underline some of the things that the people of God do, the church does, that the Savior did, Luke is trying to make a point in his two-volume work of Luke and Acts that the Holy Spirit is still with his people. He still fills us to do what we're called to do. He still operates within the church. Now, we don't have the Holy Spirit without measure, but we have it in measure to do what we're called to do. And we can look to Jesus Christ and see God's faithfulness to fill with the Holy Spirit and look to Christ as our example that we can believe God and be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what we're called to do. Any questions about that? Caleb does, yes. Are we given the Spirit beyond what we actually do? Or in other words, is the Spirit allotted to us to do certain things and nevertheless we don't do them because of sin? 
Uh, is the Spirit allotted to us to do certain things, but we don't do them because... So, I certainly think that a good portion of our sin is due to the fact that we are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And I don't know if I'm answering your question here. I'm just trying to work through it in my mind as well. Because we, we might recall Acts chapter 1, that the disciples, they were... They were told, they were given a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But do you remember the, the footnote that Christ gives them? He says, but don't leave Jerusalem until power comes upon you from on high. Right? That it, it would be sinful almost to not ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the works that God had given us to do. I think that touches maybe on what you're saying. And then I think of grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. I think that it can make us ineffectual in our works to some degree to not seek to be filled with, with the Holy Spirit. Not, and again, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily an experiential reality that we're seeking. We're not seeking to feel filled with the Holy Spirit, but through faith in Christ, we, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians uses that language, spirit and faith, almost synonymously or very closely connected. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, I don't either. Well, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's valuable. I just don't know if I totally maybe understand the question. Anything else, brother? Yeah, yeah, and we and we and we have to we have to think carefully about it. And Coley. Not extend 
the selfish who are exploiting people who are sinful, but that doesn't mean that it is any less powerful than it is intended to be. Yeah, and I, I think that to, to help us in Koli, there's some helpful things. And when we think about, certainly, our sin does not even compete with the Holy Spirit or God and what He can accomplish because sin happens and the Holy Spirit even uses sin. God uses sin in order to accomplish His, His will and His work. But when we think of our own moral culpability, okay, we are called to, to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order that we would fulfill the things that God has called us to do. Now, even though theologically we can say, well, I can not do that, and I can sin, and God's still going to work it out, that, that would be taking things sinfully too far. We do have responsibility to seek those things. Miss Nancy, did you have something to say? I mean, with the fact that you're yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, and um, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. If we're God's children, we don't want to grieve our Father, right? We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay, so lastly today, we have the Holy Spirit's work, and that Christ was thoroughly furnished, it says, to execute the office of mediator and surety. Okay? And I just want to remind us of that word surety, especially in Hebrews 7, that he's a surety of a better covenant. This is not a co-signer on a loan, that you do your part and where you fail, Christ makes it up. A surety is somebody that steps in and does all of the work for the person, assumes that you can't pay it, and requires nothing on your part. He is the surety of the better covenant. Um, which office, notice, he took upon, he took not upon himself, but was there unto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. So, the Holy Spirit filled Christ for the work that he was going to do, but it was upon the sending of the Father himself. Right? And it says that Christ didn't take upon this office of himself. We know that he came willingly. Okay? So it's not saying that Christ was an unwilling subject in this and that the Father ordered him and he had to go. What text of Scripture does it remind us of? He didn't take this upon himself. Because it's really just quoting Scripture here. No, but it's closely related to that. Yeah, it's closely related to that too. Okay, um, and maybe uh, the, the, you know those are just as good. But uh, what I have in my mind is Hebrews. Okay, we have a couple of different sections that talk about this. Hebrews. And notice what it says about a high priest in chapter five. I'm going to be quick here because of time. Chapter five of Hebrews. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. I love verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. That is, those who commit sins on accident, so to speak, and those who do it on purpose. To the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness, because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one, notice, takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are 
a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay? He didn't take the honor upon himself. This is God in flesh. And there's some mystery here. But the human nature of Christ did not just take this honor upon himself. But the Father bestowed and called him to this office. So we should see the, the triune working of Christ in his office. He's filled with the Holy Spirit sent by the Father here. Joined to a human nature in the second person of the Trinity. This is really deep, wonderful doctrines. Do we have any questions? Brother? Do we see this kind of You can't take that honor on yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He has to be called. Now, and the Levitical priests were called by a commandment by God through a precept of, of earthly descent, right? But Christ, it says in chapter 7, was called by God not by earthly descent, but by an oath. By covenant, we could say, I think. He was called to that office. Any other questions? These things should greatly encourage us, brothers and sisters, because our salvation, perfectly planned by the Father, the Son came to accomplish it, but it was through faith in the Holy Spirit. So not only did our active and passive obedience get accomplished by the Savior on the cross and in His life, we can look to Him and say, He truly was a man. In every way, truly having faith in God through His walk on this earth. And so I can trust the Lord for everything that that I am called to do on this earth as well. Now we're going to sin when we do it. But that's why He's made our priest as well. Okay. Anything else today? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Lord... We come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We, we thank you, God, that you sent a perfect mediator. You filled him perfectly to accomplish everything that he had to do to save us. God, we put our trust and our faith in him. And we hope, God, that uh, you will fill us with your spirit by measure, God, for everything that we're called to do. And trust that, God, you will do it and not us. Um, God, we, we pray that you would use us as you did our, your son and that we would not be squeamish or fearful that we do not have the power because all power is given to those who love you, God. And we, even by the Spirit, if called to do such a thing, could say to this mountain, be plucked up and thrown into the depth of the sea to accomplish your work. Lord, we love you. We pray you'd fill us and help us today to love you and receive the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.